Good morning. As Pastor Nate talked about, so my name's Kevin. I am the pastor of student ministries here at Great Oaks Church. And I'm excited to be preaching to you, bringing you God's word, even though it's not necessarily how I hoped it would be and without anyone in the room, but I hope that you're doing well in preaching, being able to preach through the screen. So I'm going to be building off of Pastor Nate's sermon last week, and if you missed it, I encourage you to go to our website to check it out. He talked about Nehemiah, the first chapter of Nehemiah, and we're going to be just building on that, and so I'm going to be in Nehemiah 2 in our new series called Rebuilding, and I want to start out by asking you a question. Have you ever been so nervous about a conversation that you were like scared or anxious, you had that like pit in your stomach feeling, your blood pressure rises, maybe you start sweating about it, or maybe uh, it might be someone with like your wife or uh, your spouse, or it might be with someone, uh, a doctor, a coworker, a friend, it might be the dreaded DTR, right, the define the relationship conversation. We've all been there, of course, that's part of life. And for me, I'm an internal processor, which means it takes me time to sometimes process information and I have to kind of think about it, which means sometimes I feel things that I don't really have words to describe yet. And so in my house, I can kind of be kind of crabby and grumpy and we know, we call that Grumpy Gills Mills. And so that's because my daughter, Millie, went through a phase where she was either silly Millie or Grumpy Gills Mills. There was like no in between. And so my wife will see me being Grumpy Gills Mills around the house and she'll know I need to give Kevin some space, right? Because he needs to kind of figure out what's upsetting him. And so my wife on the other hand is the opposite. She wants to talk about it right away. She, these are her words, she embraces conflict with open arms. That's her phrase. And so we learned early in our marriage that sometimes those conversations didn't go well. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes we've learned to kind of adapt in that there's been a couple times where I've had to take like even a few days to kind of come back and have that conversation with her. And so I remember one time where I was super nervous because I knew what was bothering me. I knew that we were in rough financial shape. And I had to talk to my wife about that. And so that brought up some insecurities in me. Because in my house, or in in my experience, and kind of what I thought it meant to be the man of the house, was that you were a good provider. And so I was nervous. I was nervous how my wife was going to react. I was nervous how it was going to make her feel. I felt like I was letting her down. I was failing her. And, And so I remember, like, I lost sleep over it, and I was upset, and I was cranky, and and people could tell. And that's the backdrop that we find Nehemiah in, in Nehemiah 2. And so a little bit of history and kind of building off of what Nate talked about last week is about 100 years before Nehemiah was a man named Zerubbabel. And he was from the line of David. And so that's really important because if you go back and you actually look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, you will see Zerubbabel is there. And so out of his line comes the Messiah. And so about 100 years Zerubbabel goes back to build the temple in Jerusalem. And as my significance of the Old Testament professor would say, Zerubbabel went back to build the temple out of rubble. So that's a way that you can remember who Zerubbabel is. And then Nate talked about Ezra, who went about 13 years ahead of Nehemiah. And so Ezra came from the line of Aaron, which was the brother of Moses, kind of the start of the priest line. And and so he was a thought to be an expert in the law. And most scholars believe that 
Ezra's job when he went back and he brought a bunch of priests with him was to establish the law in Jerusalem and also cleanse the temple. And so even though all this godly work was happening, Nehemiah gets word that Jerusalem is in trouble because the walls have been burnt down. There was no protection. And I believe that God saw that the line of David that came through Zerubbabel because his family was living in Jerusalem at the time was in trouble. The Messiah was in trouble because the prophecy talked about that it would come from the line of David. And so Nehemiah is fasting and praying, and it talks about for four months, and this is what Nate was talking about. For four months, Nehemiah prayed for the nation of Israel, and he wept over it. And during that time, we see that Nehemiah claims a promise that was made to Moses in the original covenant. And that was that it said that if, if his people were disobedient, he would scatter them across the nations. And so they, he did that. But it also said, and this was the part that, that Nehemiah was claiming, was that if they humbled themselves and they were found obedient, that he would regather them in the place that dwells his name. And that's Jerusalem. And I believe it's during that four-month time of praying and fasting that verse 12 happens, and I'll, we'll get to there in a second, but it says this, that God put in Nehemiah's heart a way to build, a desire to build the walls of Jerusalem, to rebuild the wall. And so I believe that that verse came during that four months. And so that's awesome that Nehemiah was given this from God. He was given this task that God was speaking to Nehemiah. But there was a small, tiny little problem. He had to have a conversation with the most powerful man in the world at the time, King Artaxerxes. King Artaxerxes wasn't just the king of Persia. He was the king of Babylon. He was the king of Assyria, which were the two great civilizations that came before. Oh, he was also the pharaoh of Egypt. And so he had a massive empire. And so that, if that wasn't intimidating enough, maybe there's some history buffs out there, maybe some movie buffs that love action movies. And so there was a movie called 300, where King Leonidas stands up with his 300 Spartans, right? to this man right here, and we have that epic thing, epic saying where he goes, this is Sparta, right? How awesome is that? But the point that I'm trying to make is this guy that's being carried on the shoulders of this like human RV throne thing, which granted, Hollywood probably had some creative license to make this, but that's his dad to kind of give you an idea of like the, like, who, who we think Artaxerxes might have been, right? That he thought of himself as a god. Then you take into the fact that Nehemiah was the cupbearer, and we find that out at the end of chapter one. And so Nehemiah was living a pretty comfy life. He was in the royal court. And so by bringing this to the king, by bringing something that could upset him, he's risking uh, his job, so his comfort, his livelihood. He's risking being thrown in jail. He's risking potentially being killed or his whole family killed because simply you don't upset the king. And so that's the background that we have going into Nehemiah 2. So let's read and find out what happens. So this is Nehemiah 2, starting in verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been as sad in his presence, 
right? Because, well, it's the king. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king that letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And the letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the fortress and the temple. And for the wall of the city and the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. So we'll continue in verse 9. and says this, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. And then I arose in the night, and I had a few men with me. And here's the end of verse 12. And I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. And so I believe that second part, that end, is what happened in that four-month time of praying that God had put that in his heart. And so in this, we see that Nehemiah gets through his big request, this conversation. And there's even like a pause there, and I feel like I could see Nehemiah kind of like, oh my gosh, like this is actually working. Like he's not calling for the guards. Like I might actually live. And then he answers the question of how long will it be? And then you see him start to unveil his plan, that he's thought this through. And so he addresses previous failures because we know that there was a previous attempt to rebuild the wall, but it was stopped because the governors of the province beyond the river had written to King Artaxerxes telling him that Jerusalem is a rebellious city and that it will rebel against you, and if you allow it, you will lose out on your taxes and money and loyalty. And so Nehemiah asked for that right out of the get-go. He says, will you send letters so that they will let me pass, but also saying that I have the authority to go and to do what God has put in my heart. Then we see that he asks for the resources that he needs. He goes and, and knows the king's, the keeper of the forest's name, Asaph. He knows the resources that he needs to help build the temple, the resources he needs to build the wall, and even the house that he will occupy. It's like Nehemiah walked in a shark tank and just crushed his presentation. And I don't know if you are familiar with Shark Tank. I love Shark Tank. I, I would say to Rachel, my wife, all the time, uh, like all these crazy ideas and be like, we should Shark Tank that. And I really wanted to be on Shark Tank. But so what it is, is it's basically five businessmen or businesswomen who are super wealthy and successful. And these people come and present their business or their invention to them, hoping that they get an investment. And so normally it goes something like this. 
I am looking for $1 million for 10% stake in my popsicle business. And then the sharks just devour them. They just ridicule and make fun of and basically send them out. And, and really, they're just looking for one shark to make an agreement. And normally, if they do make an agreement, they end up giving half their business anyway. But every once in a while, and I actually saw it two nights ago, there was a drone company that came in, and all five sharks were super excited about it. And that drone company actually got more money than what they requested. They got all five sharks, and they left there in a way better position than when they came in. And that's kind of what we see here with Artaxerxes, right? He gives Nehemiah even more than what Nehemiah asked for, which is a lot, by the way. He basically is asking to be the governor of Judah and to rebuild Jerusalem using the king's money. That's essentially what he's asking. Those aren't small asks. But then we find out that Artaxerxes actually gives him more. He gives him officers in the army, which he doesn't ask for, and he gives him cavalry to add for, to continue solidifying that he goes in the king's authority, but also to add protection. And so we see that Nehemiah has had something put in his heart by God and that Nehemiah trusted God with it. And he goes before the king and the king actually listens to him. And so God makes a way for his will to be accomplished. And so I get it that that's kind of a big theme throughout the Bible. We've probably heard sermons like this before. Trust God. We've kind of heard that in different ways. But I'm going to encourage you to continue to listen because I believe that Nehemiah trusts God in ways that challenge us today. And the first one is this. Nehemiah trusted God can use ungodly people to accomplish his will. It's really easy to see when God uses godly people like Nehemiah, Daniel, Mary, Peter, Paul, you know, uses Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, uses godly people to accomplish his will. But do you believe that God can use all of creation, just like it says in Psalm 148, that that includes people who do not believe or even follow Jesus? And trust me, Artaxerxes, no one ever... Ex- thinks of him as a godly person. In fact, most scholars believe that he thought of himself as a god. He was more interested in being worshipped than he was worshipping a god. And so he was more concerned about the taxes, the money, the loyalty than he was of helping build God's city in Jerusalem. And so here's a couple other examples of how God has used ungodly people throughout scripture. And so we see this happening in Pharaoh in, the Exod- in Exodus. So Pharaoh, God uses Pharaoh to display his power in, the, in letting those people go. And then we also have uh, Balaam. And so you may remember the story of Balaam and the talking donkey. And, and so a king basically hires Balaam to go and to curse the nation of Israel when they're wandering around in the wilderness. And God moves in a mighty way and Balaam actually ends up blessing them three times over. And then there's Cyrus, who ends up conquering Babylon, which allows the people to start to go back to Jerusalem, which leads to us today of talking about Nehemiah rebuilding the wall, because Cyrus conquered Babylon. And then here's two New Testament references for you. God uses Caesar 
to issue the census, which allows or basically forces Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem, thus fulfilling the prophecy that the Messiah would come and be born out of the town of Bethlehem. So God used Caesar to make that happen. And the last one would be using two Roman centurions to save Paul's life in Acts. And so what about us? Do we believe that God can use not only the godly, but also the ungodly to accomplish his will? Do we believe that God can move through our family, through our neighbors, through our coworkers, and even move through those who he's called us to submit under? And that leads me to my second point, is this, that God and Nehemiah trusted that God is the one who places those in authority over us. And we see this in this text with Nehemiah. Nehemiah respects the authority of Artaxerxes. He, it says in verse 2 that he is scared, he is nervous because he knows the power and the authority Artaxerxes has. And then we also see in verse 3 that he is loyal to Artaxerxes. He says, let the king live forever. And we also know that on some level that Artaxerxes had respect and trust in Nehemiah, making him his cupbearer. Because that's essentially the whole role, is that the king trusts you to not poison him, or to not allow him to be poisoned. And so there was some level of respect that Artaxerxes had for Nehemiah. And so we see, as Nehemiah goes in, he had this relationship with Artaxerxes, And so he doesn't just go in and basically say, you know what, my God has given me a task, so forget you, because you don't believe in my God, and so I'm going to just go and and assume that he's going to do it. No, Nehemiah goes in because he knows he has a relationship, and he trusts that God is the one who put Artaxerxes in his position. And so Nehemiah goes in with a plan to work with Artaxerxes. And he answers the question that Artaxerxes has. He, and we see in scripture that he has basically one question. How long is it going to take? When are you going to be back? But I don't think it's as innocent as it maybe comes across or it sounds. Because I think that Artaxerxes is basically asking him, do you have a plan? And does your plan include being loyal to me? And so... Many of you may have watched Hamilton on Disney+, Plus, or maybe you saw it on Broadway, or maybe in theaters around the country. I think it's very similar to King George in the musical Hamilton. And so King George was the king of England during the Revolutionary War. And so in the musical Hamilton, King George is kind of the comedic relief, and he sings a song entitled, You'll Be Back. And in the song, King George talks about, or sings about, that they had an arrangement and that he trusted them to honor that arrangement and that they will become loyal to him and he will make them loyal uh, in various humorous ways. And so, but it's kind of that same idea, I think, with Artaxerxes. He's kind of seeing, like, I trust you, but do I trust you enough to send you and continue to be loyal? Because we talked about Artaxerxes really is just interested in the money, the taxes, and loyalty. That's what he's interested in. He's not interested in rebuilding Jerusalem. He's already stopped it once. And so I believe that God raised up Nehemiah just as he raised up Esther 
for such a time as this. I believe God raised up Nehemiah to have a relationship with Artaxerxes, which would allow him to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and preserve the line of David. But I also believe this. I also believe that God raised up King Artaxerxes. I also believe that God used Artaxerxes as well to bless Nehemiah and to accomplish the task that God had put in his heart. I believe that God and Nehemiah trusted the people that, that God had put in his life. And so my question for us today is this. It's an election year. Do we trust that God is the one who's going to place the president? Do we trust that God already knows who it is and that God will work to accomplish his will? Whether you lean right or left, do we trust that God is the one who is in control? And so, do we trust the words of Daniel 2.21 that says this? He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Maybe coming a little bit closer to home, us being in Illinois, do we trust that the governor has been put there by God? Do we trust in the authority that God has given him over us? Do we trust in the words of Jesus to Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of Judea in John 19.11, which says this, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. That is Jesus saying to the governor of Judea that you would have no authority over me unless it was given from my father. And so, do we trust that? Do we trust that God is the one who is placing people in our lives, placing people in authority over us? That God is big enough that he can move even through those people? As I mentioned, we're going to continue to kind of move on, and, and there's, there's a lot of great stuff in Nehemiah. And so we're going to skip ahead to verse 17. And so I encourage you to go back and read through it. There's a lot of really good leadership principles throughout the book of Nehemiah. I encourage you to read that. But we're going to continue going in verse 17. It says this. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision, or that is ridicule. That, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also the words of the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. That when Sambalat the Hornonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? And are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So Nehemiah, in this, arrives in Jerusalem. He inspects the wall. And so now he is trying to inspire the people to rebuild the wall. And he gets them to, to basically get up and to start doing the work. But it doesn't take long, it never does, for the naysayers to start coming. So who is this three-headed negative Nancy? The first one is Sambalat, the Hornonite. 
And we know from archaeological evidence that he is the governor of Samaria. And so Samaria is to the north of Jerusalem, and, and we know that Samaritans and people from Judah did not really get along very well. And so also probably believe that he was part of the governors of the province beyond the river. Nehemiah probably already knew who Samballat was from that. And then the second Debbie Downer is Tobiah the Ammonite. And so the Ammonites are from the kind of the east, northeast part, and they are historical uh, or historical enemies of Israel, going all the way back to Joshua. And not only that, we find out later in the book of Nehemiah that he's related to the high priest, Eliashib. And we see in the book of Nehemiah that Tobiah uses Eliashib to, for his own gain. And most scholars believe that he was getting inside information from him that was preventing and really hampering Nehemiah during this time. And the third float in the party pooper parade is Geshem the Arab. And so we don't know a lot about Geshem, except for that believe that he comes from kind of the southeast part of southeast of Jerusalem and probably a governor there. And so you see that kind of it's the three people that really kind of surround Jerusalem. And so these three spoiled sports did not want to see Jerusalem rebuilt. They did not want to see the people of God uh, succeed. They did not want to see them be able to fortify their city most likely because they were the ones benefiting from them. They were probably the reason why Nehemiah heard that his people were suffering and were in trouble. And so, which leads me to my third point of this, is that God has a plan for your life even if the naysayers don't see it. And so Tobiah, Samballot, Geshem, they didn't see what God's plan was. And Nehemiah quickly identifies that, that they were not interested in helping build what God was trying to do. They were more interested in tearing down and keeping, keeping God, what God's plan was, away from happening. And so Nehemiah addresses that right away. He tells them that you have no right, you have no claim, no purpose here in Jerusalem. And so he doesn't entertain them. He doesn't go and argue with them. He doesn't go on his keyboard and start bashing them back and forth over the internet, if it existed. He doesn't go back and he's not texting back and forth. He doesn't keep going and interacting. He simply identifies them, throws them aside, and moves along to inspiring the people that are there to do the work. And I want to clarify something real quick. I'm not talking about non-Christians, because we are called to seek and save the lost. That is what we are, part of our mission is to do, is to bring those people into the kingdom of God. I'm talking about people who are hostile to the mission of God. The people that are just trying to tear down the church, are trying to tear down your life, and are simply identifying those people and saying, I don't have time for you, and just cast them aside. And so, I want to kind of close by this, by saying, what are some of those naysayers in your life. We don't really have a Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, but we do have people in our life that don't really have our back, that don't really have our best interest at heart, are focused on really benefiting them, their own self. And so maybe it's family members. Maybe it's people in your life, just like Eliashib, that were taking advantage of you and your family. Maybe it's people that are just simply saying, you're never going to amount to anything. You're not good enough. Your family's a mess. Your family's broken. You're never going 
to actually do anything of consequence. So maybe you need to claim Romans 8.31, the passage that says this, when it said, when then shall we say these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Maybe it's a supervisor at work or just your career. People saying, you're not qualified. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not skilled. You don't have any education. You don't have the right education. You don't have enough education. Maybe it's people saying you don't have experience. You don't have the three to five experiences needed to do this. So maybe you need to trust in Ephesians 2.10, which says that this, that you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. We should walk in them. And so maybe the career that you thought you were going to go into, maybe the, the company is not what God created and it has been preparing you to do. And so maybe that there's something else. But I do believe in that promise that God has created you for a purpose and that there are things that he has for you to do to accomplish for his glory. And maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's people who constantly are holding you back and saying, you remember that dumb mistake you made when you were in high school? Or you constantly are making, screwing up this? You're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to be more than you were when you were a teenager. And that's the beauty of the gospel. As Christians, we believe this, that, that God can restore us, that God can redeem us, that we can become new creations, that we are not defined by our past. And so maybe you need to claim 1 John 1, 9 that says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, forgive our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. That we can be new creations, that we are not defined by our past. And so maybe, maybe the naysayers in our life, and maybe this is part of your, your story, is church members, the brothers and sisters in Christ. And unfortunately, we can be some of the most judgmental people And we can be the ones that are tearing people down. We are supposed to be in each other's corner, cheering them on towards love and good deeds. But oftentimes, we're saying things like, your your past is too messed up. You have too many tattoos, too many piercings. You don't dress the part. You don't talk the part. You don't have the right personality. You don't have the right charisma. You don't have the right gifts. And so oftentimes, we're tearing each other down. And so maybe you need to claim Psalm 139, 14 that says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and that God knit you together in your mother's womb. He made you and he didn't make a mistake. And maybe it's finances. I shared early on that we had financial trouble, right? And it can weigh on you and you can sit there and you can look at it, whether it's student loan debt, credit card debt, medical bills, You're never going to be able to provide for your family. You're never going to pay for the bills. You're never going to be able to buy a house. You're never going to finally get ahead. And maybe you're just sitting there thinking, man, if only God could move in a mighty way. But if you're wanting God to move, you need to get right with God. And so seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And what it's talking about is the needs and the things that you need. And so seek first God, and then see how God can move in your life. Maybe it's social media. Maybe you're kind of caught up in keeping up with the Joneses, 
right? Getting into the comparison game. Does that, of looking around and seeing like, man, their life looks perfect, right? They always kind of have that perfect little smirk on their face. They have the, the sunshine is hitting them just right, right? Hashtag no filter, whatever. We all know there's a filter. But maybe you need to look at Colossians 3.2 that says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And maybe, maybe God has put something in your heart like injustice, right? And you hear people say that you're never, you're never going to make a difference. It's not going to matter. Some things always stay the same. It's always been that way. You're wasting your life. But knowing that God cares about injustice, as first, as Isaiah 1, 17 talks about, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And last, maybe the doctor, right? Maybe, maybe the test came back positive. Maybe you don't hear a heartbeat. Maybe told there's not much hope. And so thinking of 1 Peter 1.21 that says, though through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. So I want to tell you a story of my third child, Emmeline. So leading up to the birth of Emmeline, my wife had two miscarriages. And so the pain and the hurt of going through that is something that's oftentimes not talked about. But my wife was going in to have a, a test done that included radiation. And she was told from the doctor to make sure that you are not pregnant because the radiation will kill any baby that is in the womb. And so my wife takes the pregnancy test, comes back negative, goes in, gets the test done, and it comes back flawless, comes back fine. But Rachel had this feeling that she was pregnant. And so a couple weeks go by, and she, she has this feeling again, so she takes a test and finds out that the test comes back positive, and then was able to determine that she was about two months pregnant when she had that test done. She contacts the doctor, and the doctor said, don't worry, don't get your hopes up, you'll probably miscarry in about one to two weeks. And so two weeks go by, and my wife doesn't miscarry. And so she calls up the doctor, and they said, well, you can come in, we'll do an ultrasound, see if we can hear a heartbeat. So we do. We go in, and sure enough, there's a heartbeat. And the doctor said, well, there's not really any hope, there's, there's not going to be any brain development uh, and so it's probably best to just schedule an abortion and do a DNC. And so my wife and I were not comfortable with that, and we said, as long as there's a heartbeat, we don't want to do that. And the doctor said, I want to schedule a detailed ultrasound to show you everything that is wrong with the baby and to show you that there will be no brain activity. And so we show up for that ultrasound. And that ultrasound comes back flawless. And so my wife asked to see what the doctor charted in her chart. And the, and the chart said this, unidentified object must have hovered over baby during radiation. So we fast forward to the birth, and there are several specialists in the room to see the birth of Emmeline. Because they want to see what this medical uh, miracle looks like. Right? Does, does Emmeline come out healthy, or is 
something all messed up. And so there's all kinds of specialists in the room. And as Emmelyn passed every single check, they file out one by one. And so that's the God that I trust. The God, when medical professionals say there is no hope, that my hope is in the Lord. That when there looks to be no way, God can make a way. And that's the God that Nehemiah trusted his life to. That Nehemiah trusted his life that God could use an ungodly man of Artaxerxes to accomplish the task that he was given to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. That Nehemiah trusted that God has placed those in authority over him and so that God would still move through Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah trusted in God's plan over the naysayers of saying, you will never rebuild. Are you rebelling against the king? You failed already. Why are you even attempting to do it again? And so my question for you this morning is this. Do you believe? Do you trust? Do you trust that God can use ungodly people to accomplish his will? Do you believe and trust in the authority the peop- that God has placed people in authority over you? Do you trust in that? And do you believe and trust in his plan over the naysayers? Whoever it may be. And so... I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing one last song. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for just the story of Nehemiah and just how he can challenge us in a mighty way. That even in this time right now, that the words of Nehemiah can speak so true into our life. That God, that you can use all of creation including ungodly people to accomplish your will. You are in control of it all. And Lord, that you are the one who brings people into our life. And can we submit to that? And can we trust in you in that? And it's not easy. Oftentimes it's hard. But yet that's where faith comes in. That's where trust comes in. Because if it was easy, then it wouldn't really be trusting you. And last, do we believe the promises that you have in your Bible and your word to us, Lord? Can we claim those promises in the face of naysayers, of people who don't have our back, who people are trying to tear us down, bring us down? Can we claim that you are the one that is with us always, as it says in Isaiah 41, do not be dismayed, but but find courage that I am with you and that I am the one that holds you up with a victorious right hand, God, that you are the one who will succeed as it says in Nehemiah 2. It's not because of who Nehemiah was, but it was his trust in you and the power that you had, that you would make them prosper. And in the same way, the trust that you provided a way for Emmeline to be born, in the same way that you will make us prosper here at Great Oaks and in your life. And so if you believe this, let's sing this last song. Amen.